Well, how to appeal to voters, a key question in any election. Sir John A. crossed the country by train. Party leaders from Deef and Pearson to today have done it by plane. But are party strategies, media budgets, and new era styles about to change things? Our insiders are here to share their secrets on all this. Jamie, Kathleen, and David, all at the table tonight. Good to have you all at the table instead of different places in the country. Um, let me start by showing you something. This is what it's come to to fill a campaign plan. Look at this ad that the Liberal Party put out last year. Win a day on the campaign trail. <laughs> you get a seat on the plane. Now, apparently, there were people who, who wanted a part of that, and uh, there was a winner. And so there'll be somebody on the campaign plane with uh, Justin Trudeau. So a second prize, two days on the campaign? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the question. Is the campaign plane idea, you know, hurtling around the country in this aluminum tube, seeing your party faithful, is it still the way that effectively leaders can campaign in today's world? Well, you know, clearly I have a bias as someone who works in politics. But, yeah, I think that campaigns matter and leaders' tours matter. I know that journalists, there's some uh, who think that we can run campaigns from a national press gallery in Ottawa. But I really believe it's the moment where leaders connect with Canadians and you get to see the public's reaction. I'm going to give you a but quick you example of this. do you see the public's reaction or do well, you, you see do. your party faithful's reaction? Well, no, I'm going to give you an example of that. In the recent Alberta campaign, on the mm -hmm. second day of the election, so the election had just started, the writ had just dropped, uh, the NDP held a rally in, Fort, in Calgary Fort. And the rally was so packed that a famous journalist, or a well-known journalist, uh, Don Braid, couldn't actually even get into the venue. He had to listen from the outside. And you can't see that as a journalist unless you're on the ground on the tour. You can't see that momentum building. And you can't see the public's reaction. So I still think there's a lot of value in the tour. Jamie. Well, I think there's value in the tour. I think the question is, is it going to continue to be a pack of journalists following the leader uh, in this little cocoon that goes all around the country. And I think that's changing. I think everything about campaigning is changing, from the way we raise money to the way we target to the way we communicate. So why wouldn't the way we do tours changing? So I think what you're going to see is less national reporters flying across the country back and forth at the whim of the party and a more regionalized and more decentralized coverage of campaigns. I think they're still going to go to those rallies, but I don't think it's going to be the same one. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. David, where are you on this? Uh, I think that, uh, I agree with both my colleagues, I think that tours are going to continue to happen uh, because the parties need them. Uh, it matters uh, in the t communities that you visit when the leader visits there. I could see in my nightly tracking in the 04 and 06 campaigns when Paul Martin would visit British Columbia, the numbers would move in mm -hmm. British Columbia. We're still going to do that, whether the national media cover it or not. <laughs> Did you hear that? Up or down? <laughs> <laughs> well, in British Columbia's case, up. Uh, <laughs> So um, media are, are going to cover it less. In Ontario, we've seen uh, a, a fall off in the amount of a number of media that cover the tour, and I think nationally we will too. But that is not because it stopped being newsworthy. That's because media budgets are now so small they can't afford to go on these tours with all of their people. But I think there's a national interest. Leaders have one single message, but it varies by nuance, region to region and location to location, and how they vary that message is of national interest. Uh, it's not just media budgets that are impacted. One assumes party budgets are impacted too if the media is not on these aircraft in the way they used to be. Yeah, well, because part, part of the leader's tour is subsidized by uh, selling seats to, uh, to the media to fall. At exorbitant For prices. For sure, which is why in the provincial election, Tim Hudak didn't have a media bus.
But the whole nature of these campaigns are changing. For instance, mm -hmm. even just from the last 2011 campaign, now there's expected to be Wi-Fi on the planes. We used to actually schedule the tour, the leader's tour, to land in certain weird locations so people could file stories and upload video. A lot of that, particularly the print stories, will be able to happen on the plane. And in the area of Twitter, where people are not waiting for the 6 o'clock or 11 o'clock news, we'll expect news to break all along at every hour of the day. And that might make the tour a little bit more important to be I think, on. I think Kathleen makes a crucial point. These things were designed uh, for a time when we had a certain level of technology. All of that's gone out the window. Mm -hmm. So I think we ought to expect that the process will go out the window too. One of the other things about the campaign plane is who's on it with the leader and who's at headquarters. Mm -hmm. And there's always been this tension between headquarters and campaign planes and whether or not the key strategist should be with the leader, how much power the plane has, how much power the uh, headquarters has. Uh, how, where is that in today's world? I, I do not think you can run a campaign from the plane. I strongly believe this. There's a tension between the immediacy that is felt in the air uh, with the need to respond to journalists really quickly and the pressure to change the plan that exists on the plane or the bus. Whereas the people on the ground in Ottawa or wherever they're based are looking at the long game. There has to be really close communication between air and ground. But I think you're in a, making a fatal mistake if you run actually for the campaign from the plane. Well, that would certainly be the consensus among political professionals that it's preferable to do it uh, from the, to run the campaign from the ground than from the plane for the reasons that Kathleen identified. You have more objectivity. You got, you're in less of a frazzled environment. You're less likely to be influenced by uh, the, the enthusiasm of the crowds that you mm -hmm. face. Now, of course, all of you have always been on the ground as opposed to on the plane, right? Yeah, but you point out that there, there are exceptions to that. Sure. There are lots of campaigns where the guiding mind of the campaign is, uh, is on the plane. I, I think that was probably true of Pierre Trudeau's campaigns when Jim Coots traveled the country with him. Mm -hmm. And it was probably true of Brian Mulroney's campaigns when Brian Mulroney was on the plane. Right. Mm. If you ever want to... <laughs> <laughs> okay, we get that. Yep. If, if you ever want a sign that the wheels have fallen off the bus or off the landing gear of the plane, it's when the senior strategist who has been at headquarters all of a sudden three quarters of the way during the campaign shows up on the plane or on the bus. And when she arrives or he arrives, you know there's big problems. Are there tensions, though, historically between the two ends of this? Sure, but, but there ought not to be because the people from headquarters know what they're doing. The people that uh, are on the bus or the plane are supposed to just do what they're told. And that works much better when it's done that way. <laughs> you realize what but you're yes. saying about the leaders in all these Well, cases, no, because right? it's decided they're in advance. They're just like puppets no, of no, the headquarters. No, no, it's decided in advance. And it's hard in the... I mean, there's so many... We call them bus crimes when people are on the bus or plane crimes when someone decides to throw everything out the window and in the heat of the moment uh, go and buy some... Uh, barbed wire from, you know, the local home hardware store, <laughs> waving it around. And these things don't generally end very well. Um, I, I want your favorite airplane story, campaign plane story, whether it's a good one or a bad one. Uh, but I'll show you mine, first of all, because I used to actually be out there covering the campaigns. And this happened to, to me in 79 when I was covering the Clark campaign. Uh, we lost an engine on, on the aircraft, two-engine plane, and it uh, threw everybody uh, into a, a bit of a panic. And our... Producers found this old tape of that moment. The two pilots flying the Air Canada charter for Clark are both senior check pilots with the airline. They both say that they run through the practice of engine failures almost daily. But they also both say it's the first time they've had one fail on them during a regular flight. 
Um, I just want you to tell my mother that I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> what an intense report that was. <laughs> and that was actually Joe Clark, moments after everything was resolved and we'd landed, and days later he uh, became Prime Minister. The only person so far to have beaten a Trudeau in a Canadian mm -hmm. election campaign. A record that will last for some time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll see about that. Uh, okay, we've got two minutes left. Favorite uh, campaign point story? Uh, well, my favorite tour story, period, is in the last provincial election uh, when we were determined to try to win back the ridings along the Toronto waterfront from the NDP, which had held them for a number of years. And we started the campaign with Kathleen Wynne, who had established herself as a runner, running through all the ridings on the Toronto waterfront to call attention to the fact, to dramatize the fact that we were going after those ridings and targeting it. It was, got a lot of media attention, and uh, we did indeed win many of those ridings. That's your favorite story. It is. It's not my worst story. I have a worst story. I thought you, were gonna, I thought you wanted good stories and bad stories. We don't, we don't have time for your worst story. Kathleen. I think my story is a bit of a worse story, but it's, it just cracks everyone up in, in the war room. So it was picture British Columbia 2009. Uh, Carol James was the leader of the NDP, and they decided to tour uh, a privatized uh, power project. So they put all the reporters on a very small plane and went up in the air to tour this power project from the air. Problem was... They couldn't find the site. It was, the weather was horrible. It was windy and choppy out there. And all the reporters ended up putting down their steno notebooks and picking up barf bags. It is legendary. <laughs> they didn't find the site. It was a really bad story, and it ended up being an ominous signal for the entire campaign. I bet you got great coverage on that. Yes. You know, amongst campaign teams, there's a bit of an arms race as to who can feed the reporters uh, in the uh, most uh, elegant uh, mm -hmm. and innovative way. And everyone's trying to one-up everyone else. And in one campaign, my colleague John Ratchard had the best idea of all time. He put a bread maker on the plane, and it made the place smell like home, hoping that that would influence the coverage that we got. I could let you in. The bread was great, the coverage not so. No, but it's true what Jamie says. You know, my good friend uh, Carl Belanger, who's been on five federal campaigns as press secretary, the first thing he did when he went up in the air was to buy a cooler. He got the party to invest in a cooler. Why? Because reporters need to be well-fed and watered. They work long days, and he would make sure on every stop that there was... You know, certain kinds of drinks available at all times in those coolers, not just water and pop. I gather, that neither, I gather that neither of you were ever scrummed at the airport about whether or not you were going to be or ought to be fired as the campaign chair. <laughs> as I was halfway through the 2004 Luckily campaign. No. That, would, that, that would make it all fun, too. It's good conversations. I'm sure we could tell stories uh, well into the night. Thank you all.